I haven't always had control over the experiences that I've had in my life, but I have control over how I tell the story of them. I was thinking this is the greatest thing ever, and it is. My writing process is the same. I'm just a girl who likes to write. Oh, sometimes when you talk about the stuff that sucks, people will pay you money and you'll feel better about it, and then you can buy your Prozac. If you are waiting for permission to have a voice in this world and to tell your story in this world, then you're not going to get it. I'm Lex Alptrom. And I'm Lee Stein. And this is The Bindercast, the only podcast dedicated to the careers of women and gender nonconforming writers across a variety of fields. Lee, I got a question for you. Yes. Can you believe that we've done a full season of The Bindercast? No, it's really crazy because it's it's like I'm wearing snow boots now. And I remember when I was like sitting outside in a tank top and you had the idea to start a podcast. And I was like, yeah, how hard could it be? Right. Um, Well, I, for one, have definitely learned a whole bunch about how hard it can be and how much crazy amounts of work goes into podcasting. But can you imagine what it would have been like if we had started this knowing what we know now? I feel like we'd be like superheroes or something. Yeah, probably. Well, if there's anyone listening at home who's been dreaming of starting their own podcast, they'll be in much better shape after they listen to this episode, which is from a panel we did at New York BinderCon on podcasting with rock stars like Stephanie Fu from This American Life, Manoush Samarodi from Note to Self, Anne Hepperman from the Sarah Awards, and Jen Baker from the Minorities in Publishing podcast. And if you get inspired to start your own podcast after listening to this, be sure to tell us about it on Twitter. We're at The Bindercast, and we're looking forward to hearing about all your awesome new podcasts. I am Jen Baker. I am the creator of the Minorities in Publishing podcast, which is kind of like the indie aspect of the Breaking into Podcasting discussion of this panel. And it's an interview format panel and it's very specific to the publishing industry and I'm really honored to have been asked to moderate this panel with these superstars that have such an eclectic mix of experience and so much information of varying aspects to talk to us about this morning so I'm really psyched about it and we're just going to dive in because I know we're running a little bit late but I hope the keynote was invigorating and inspiring and overall awesome awesome is an adjective you'll hear me say at least 20 times throughout this panel <laughs> so I will start from left to right Manus Zamarati is the host and managing editor of WNYC's Note to Self formerly known as New Tech City a tech show about being human most recently Manus spearheaded Bored and Brilliant, which I just signed up for, a week-long challenge that got thousands of people across the country rethinking their relationship with their phones and jump-starting their creativity. She often fills in as host on The Brian Lehrer Show, The Leonard Lopate Show, and On the Media, and has contributed to NPR, Quartz, Inc., MS. It's great to be here. Thank you. Stephanie Fu is a producer at This American Life, Prior to that, she was one of the original producers of NPR's Snap Judgment, where she helped develop the show's unique style and sound. Her work has aired on shows like 99% Invisible and Reply All. She's also the co-founder of This American Life's Audio Hackathon, and she's promised me very good Vietnamese recommendations in California. (laughs) Welcome, Stephanie. 
Anne Hepperman is the founder of the Sarah Awards and Serendipity Podcast from Sarah Lawrence College. The Sarah Awards is an international initiative that celebrates and rewards audio fiction for the 21st century. Working in public radio and podcasting for 20 years, Anne Hepperman's Peabody Award-winning work has aired on numerous public radio shows, including This American Life, 99% Invisible, and Radio Lab. In 2011, she was named a United States art artist Rockefeller Fellow. She teaches audio fiction and narrative journalism at Sarah Lawrence College and its writing program. Bitch Magazine once called her a sort of goddess of podcasting. <laughs> Just sort of. I like that. that was my favorite part. Thank you so much for being here, Anne. So thank you to all three panelists. They're amazing. We were talking in the green room for a bit about all the kinds of aspects that they can bring in terms of this discussion and looking at it as a kind of intro because there's going to be an actual workshop. I don't know how many of you are going to be at the Acts to Tracks workshop this afternoon, but hopefully it can just bring up a lot of information in terms of if you're thinking about podcasting, if you're currently doing one, and we'll have about 15 minutes for questions towards the end and then break for lunch. So my first question is, kind of like the general intro, where did each of you get your start in terms of this medium? Was it fellowships? Was it mentorships? Are you a self-starter? Was it a formal method of study for you in college? I met a guy on a plane, like, really. Like, I, I sat next to a guy named Jonathan Buckley, who I still think is at Marketplace. Do you guys know if he's been the international editor? And I've been a huge fan of public radio. Oh, God, you know, grew up in the car with Garrison Keillor and, you know, all that stuff from when I was really little. And um, he handed me his card. We got to talking because it was a really bumpy flight, and I will talk to you if it's a bumpy flight and I'm nervous, like apologies already um, on that front. But he said, you should intern where I work. And then I said, okay, just so you know, and he, when he handed me it, he was the NPR supervising editor for Morning Edition. And so as soon as I landed, I went to my local radio station. Well, at first I told him, I said, I'm following up on this. Like, I'm sending you an email. Like, you will see me in Washington, D.C. Because he said, oh, you should come to Washington, D.C. I'll show you around. And then, um, and then once I got to my local radio station, which was in Flagstaff, Arizona, I walked in and I said, uh, I need an internship because I'm going to be flying to D.C. in a couple of weeks. And, um, and they said, okay. Uh, you can come in at 5 a.m. every morning and you can um, rewrite like the wire copy for the news broadcast for our host. And at the time, I was also a master's in anthropology, but I, I just <laughs> did that. Um, and then I went to... And then as luck would have it, um, there was a woman there who started Weekend Edition Saturday who had relocated to Flagstaff, Arizona, so when I went to Washington, D.C., everybody was very excited, um, and I was very confused because I didn't know why they were so excited that I was in Flagstaff. But then I ended up getting an internship the same summer with um, Audie Cornish, um, Eve Tro, a bunch of just really amazing people. And then I think for me, I just kind of had this idea like, oh, I can just kind of do anything. And so then when I came upon a story... Um, that ended up being about Willie Nelson's 
email or not emails, um, voicemails. Um, my first story was for This American Life in like 2000, but I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be pitching them like as a person who'd never done radio and I was pitching all of these national shows as an intern in the newsroom and I just didn't know I I was just kind of like blind ignorance and just very just kind of willed my way but like that and then as soon as I had a piece on this American life that just kind of like opened up a bunch of doors Mm. but I want to add that not supposed to absolutely you're supposed to right 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 yeah yeah Mm -hmm. were they paid internships may I ask was mine paid? I yeah, I think it was really, really small. Mm-hmm. Really small. Um, I did not grow up with public radio. Um, I wasn't really aware of it. I wanted to be a print journalist, um, and I discovered This American Life after college in the car one day, and it kind of blew my mind. I became really obsessed with it. Um, I had, like, a data entry job, so I started listening to eight hours of This American Life a day. Um, and so I, at a certain point, I was like, I want to do this, I think. So uh, after my boring data entry job, I would spend uh, another eight hours at night cutting a podcast called Get Me on This American Life, <laughs> um, which was really bad. <laughs> And uh, I would actually, so I learned how to make a podcast via transom.org. Um, and there were these tutorials and there were these uh, interviews with Ira where he talked about storytelling. And so I would actually stop the podcast. I would stop my story midway through and just be like, and by the way, Ira Glass says that you have to universalize the story at the end, so now I'm going to do that. And then I, <laughs> <laughs> I would this is bad. But uh, it got the attention of Snap Judgment, who had been around for all of, like, two months. Um, they hired me as an intern, and two months later, that they had to hire me as a full-fledged producer because I was producing the majority of their show. Mm. Um, and so <laughs> <laughs> it was really... That was an epic learning experience. I crammed a lot of... Uh, a lot of experience into a very brief period of time because I produced about 180 stories in four years there. Um, and eventually, Ira noticed, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I wound up getting on This American Life. I have never been on This American Life. <laughs> <laughs> but I would like to be on This American Life. Um, for me, I'm really a news person who has come to podcasting late and with great gratitude that I have arrived here. Um, so I was a, again, it was an internship, um, mid-90s. I thought I wanted to be a documentary filmmaker, you know, as you do in the mid-90s when you're 21. And um, <laughs> so I called up the BBC's um, bureau, not realizing. I was like, the BBC makes amazing documentaries. So I called their bureau, not realizing, like, no, that's the news bureau. And the guy who answered was the new bureau chief. And I was like, I want to come be your intern. And he said, what's an intern? I was like, I come and work for you for, like, nothing. And he was like, great. <laughs> Let's do that. So I think I was their first intern, actually, or one of their first. Um, and luckily, there were two correspondents there. They, at the, the way the BBC was structured at the time, um, 
BBC World Service had no money, and they hired me after I graduated. And at the time, you were bimedial, which kind of makes me laugh now. Um, means that you did TV and you did radio. So I really, I know, right? It's so good. Um, 20 years later, it sounds so bad, dated. Um, so I learned how to do TV and radio, which are two very different types of storytelling, visually and also with audio. And the BBC, you know, I was a public radio listener as a kid, um, but my parents are not Americans, so I kind of felt more comfortable with the BBC way of telling stories. Um, and I was with them for a long time. I ended up traveling the world for them. I was based abroad for them. And then um, I came back to the U.S. after um, 9-11 and ran the New York Bureau here, and I was just burned. I was so burnt out and tired, and, um, and I wanted to do more reporting. So I quit my staff job, which people thought was crazy, and went freelance as a reporter for a couple BBC shows. And then I ended up working for Reuters Television for a while, and then I had two kids, and I kind of was doing some consulting, and I thought that's what I was going to do. I was like, I don't know how to do this, like the parenting thing, and work full-time, so I was consulting. Um, and then a friend of mine, I went out to lunch with him, um, was, he was the new business editor at WNYC, and I was like, you know, you really should be covering more of the tech economy that's happening here. He's like, bitch, why don't you cover more of the tech economy? <laughs> so I was like, all right. So I started doing, like, every week I would put, put in, like, this... He, he really just sort of like made it happen. I did like a seven minute slot on morning edition every week about what was happening. This is like 2012, 2013. And at the time, WNYC was looking for more women. They got grants they needed to recruit. And I think what they realized was like, every time I sort of went off script, I was way more interesting. So they were like, why don't we just build like a show around you? And I was like, I have little kids. I don't know if I can do that. And there's nothing like saying, like, no thanks to make them come after you, right? (laughs) So they basically said everything I've ever wanted to hear in my entire life. (laughs) They were like, well, we'll build a show around you. And I was like, well, when you put it that way, then okay. So it's, but it's been really learning out loud. Like, I, if you want to hear how I learned, listen to the last two years of the podcast. Like, it sucked. I thought it was about the tech economy. Then it really wasn't. Then I changed it. And then I sort like, you hear, like, me find my voice. Like, mm-hmm. I think even just a year ago where I started to just realize it's like being therapy in front of mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. microphone that I was like, I'm okay. once I became okay with myself, I think the show got so much better. So, um, so yeah, I'm really proud of where we are now. Um, we changed the name of the show to reflect this change in what we thought the show was about. Um, so now it's called Note to Self. And... Um, and it's interesting to me how the audience will follow you when you are indeed honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I like to try and change the definition of intern to someone who makes a decent amount of money, a livable wage. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if the government is listening or <laughs> corporate America is, but that would get you a lot more, especially diverse ones. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad each of you touched on your voice, what you do, and how it got noticed because the next question, it, it really translates to being an artist in general, I think, also, is why. Why would you even want to try to do a podcast? Why would you want to write a memoir? Why would you want to do a documentary? But in this form, that is somewhat technical and is a very... I don't know if it's a skill that can be learned or taught, I can say. I mean, and you might feel very different, but Manu's uh-huh. also talked about 
the regularity of doing it and yeah. finding your voice. So can you each speak to why someone here, if they're not doing one, why they might consider it, or if they're considering doing one, why they should probably push through to actually move forward to do it? I think the number one reason to get into audio is that we're hiring, <laughs> that it's growing. That's yeah. a good reason. Um, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of... Uh, avenues in journalism, <laughs> print, um, that are not growing in the clip that we are. Um, more and more Americans are listening to podcasts every day. Um, it's, I don't think, a, mo a medium that's going to die because we become more and more um, uh, prone to multitasking as we get more involved with our devices. And that means that people want to be able to educate themselves and entertain themselves when they're driving or they're walking the dog or they're washing the dishes. Um, and I think that there's so much space right now for creativity and for growth, and that is actively being encouraged by, by some of the gatekeepers, but, but that the gatekeepers are not necessarily necessary um, in this industry right now. Um, and so... I would love a diversity of content, a diversity of voices, and so I want people of all different backgrounds, of all different races, to be making all different content. Like, please, I welcome the Real Housewives of podcasting. Oh my God, you know, be so great. Um, there is one. It just started, Anne, last did. week. Yeah. Really? Uh, yes. Really? Yeah. Two I mean, two housewives just started a podcast. I swear to God. I just okay. Saw it. <laughs> I'll I'm sign. Look it up. Where's my phone? Do they just fight? <laughs> on the podcast? I don't know. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'll let you know. All right. um, yeah, I mean, I for for me, you know, I work at Sarah Lawrence College, and I'm in the writing department. You know, um, but I, you know, again, I've been doing nonfiction for a lot of years. But the other thing that I think is really important, specifically for this audience, is like we need good writers. Mm -hmm. Like we really yeah. do. You know, and and I think good writing. I mean, not that we don't have good writers. Um, already but i just think that the the more that we get better writers like I, i'm a huge fan of collaboration and what people can bring to the table mm -hmm. you know um but that also means that as writers you have to also learn you know the the form of mm -hmm. audio and how maybe some of what how you're writing might have to change a little bit mm -hmm. you know so it's it's that it's that delicate balance of keeping your your voice and keeping that really fun uh, writing style that's your voice and figuring out how to translate that in audio and also there's so many ways out there that you can <coughs> teach yourself and particularly in New York like small workshops that you can take mm -hmm. week-long workshops at places like Union Docs that can help like jumpstart things um, or like you said just going to Transom and just learning it there's so many online tutorials that you can do but also here just in new york there's so many opportunities for people to make something and then have a group of people to listen to it and critique it and collaborate like mm -hmm. there's so much support and community here that um but lest you think yeah. like podcasting is like the answer let's be honest right like i think there are some people who are like it's great you just turn on like a recorder and then you oh, talk God. and there no, you go no, you're no, done no, no, and no, no, like, that no, frustrates no, me no, yeah. no, uh -uh, uh -uh, uh -uh. no i would also just add there was there's a job i think for um writers in podcasting that i didn't know it existed until i hired it actually mm -hmm. which was um i'm a broadcast journalist like that's what i do i write for broadcast and so like i don't actually have a ton of write 
writing, writing, you know what I mean, experience. Like, obviously I can write, but like, that's not like it takes, I'm very slow. Mm-hmm. So the, um, the assistant producer we have who is actually teaching the class this afternoon, she, I mean, she's magic. She takes what I do in the actual show and turns it into, um, web copy and our newsletter. And, um, you know, our newsletter is no joke. We have 20,000 subscribers to our newsletter. And I think it's really in part because of her beautiful writing. I feel like when I write, it's like, like how I think it should be in the New York times. Do you know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. she has taken my voice and turned it into the written equivalent, which I, you know, I'm really learning from her. Um, so it's an interesting, like there's so many different jobs that I think weren't there Mm -hmm. previously. Um, can, can I just ask, I am curious, like how many of you have tried podcasting? Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. So a lot of people, and how many are thinking about trying? Okay. Yay. 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 Mm. All right, so you know, um, you, you can't just turn on the recorder and talk because then it sounds like you shit. can. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you can, but that's the other. I mean, I, I, um, I mean, you know, I'm doing a fiction show, but I think a lot of this is that um, because of um, shows like This American Life and Radio Lab, like what people expect a lot. Um, a lot of professionalism from their mm-hmm. their podcast, mm-hmm. and so I think that 's also something to take into account mm-hmm. you know i mean oh my god i 've been doing this for like almost twenty years and and while um, it is like kind of much easier, and I see people learning things a lot faster. It, it still is a skill, and I think yes. like if you you go at it as this is a craft that I want to learn um, that that will benefit you and and how you want to make. And also, part of the reason like I created, I'm, I, I don't know if you had the same experience with both of you guys when you started your podcast. I wanted to create something that I felt like I had never heard before, and I feel like that is actually a really good starting point and spark for creating something that I think um, is really like that that will grab people mm-hmm. like if you say like oh I want to do I don't know I want to sound like this or that but if you have an idea that's like God, I feel like I've never heard that before mm-hmm. um, that to me is part of the reason why you have really you know successful shows that they kind of right. start from that that yeah. point of like what am I not hearing and I want to make exactly. this I mean, get me on this American life. Definitely not something I hadn't heard before. <laughs> right, right, right. But, but now judgment, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, they gave me the freedom to take lots of risks and do things like fiction and poems mm-hmm. and like go crazy with sound effects and scoring. Mm-hmm. And that freedom just helped me develop my voice really early on. And just to address the why again, I think that radio is such an emotional and intimate medium when you're lis- literally listening to somebody like whisper in your ears and I feel like you've mm-hmm. I mean I'm sure you all feel like you know your favorite hosts and that you care with, about them identify with them and I think that if you really want a close relationship to your audience I think audio is really a great way to go Yeah, um, because you can I think a lot comes out in your personality if again you're true to yourself um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I would just also add, you know, you're Anne saying like take an idea that you feel like you haven't heard or maybe just think like I don't hear me anywhere. Do yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I where am I in this? Mm-hmm. I don't hear anybody who sounds like me. I don't hear anybody who thinks like me or expresses mm-hmm. their ideas like me. Mm-hmm. Um we just did a, a show with um another round, the the two oh, women yeah, at, um, so good. at BuzzFeed. Really good. And I I 
God, have you listened to their Hillary Clinton interview? That's yeah. so That's good. freaking amazing. Good. I loved that. And I, I feel like, and you know, I, I feel a little, I felt a little weird saying this, but I, I said to, to Tracy, I was like, thank you for letting me listen in. You know what I mean? Like, and she was like, no, don't feel like I looked a little like weirded out. She was like, no, that's good that you are listening, that we make you feel like we are just hanging out and that you are learning from us. And that's Mm -hmm. okay. Like, so I was, I feel like that's, they seem like real, um, that's a breakthrough to me. Mm-hmm. that conversation but I know that they're not just sitting down even though they want you to thank you they're just sitting down throwing it back and talking right like yeah. they plan yeah. out their topics yes. they are they, they have a lot of they prep. have like two producers you know yeah. there's producers yeah there is this I was teaching at Transom a couple of weeks ago and one of my students said that she was listening to another round and they were talking about ashiness uh-huh. and yeah. they did not explain <laughs> for oh, a white audience what you. ashiness was they were just like ashiness Get like if you don't know, like just Google exists for a reason. Yeah. Right. Um, and she said that that was a really emotional moment for her. So like, think about your don't necessarily like think that you need to make something for this American Life audience mm-hmm. or like a yeah. NPR audience. Mm-hmm. Make it for yeah. you and your friends and your audience. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's also what translates into the art of writing itself is that when you're writing, you're creating what. I would think you're not seeing or what you would hope to see. And I know when I created my podcast, it was people aren't having this discussion. So I want Mm -hmm. to have this discussion. And that's why I started mine. It wasn't, this is going to blow up. Everyone's going to (laughs) be, I'm going to be on, you know, I'm hanging with Gail on CBS this morning. (laughs) Because black on black. Yeah, it's like, it's going to be great. And I was like, no, this is a very niche topic that matters to very, not a small community, but a specific community. So I I really appreciate you guys saying, don't expect NPR to come knocking on your door and don't do it for the idea of six figures, a hundred million followers on (laughs) Twitter. And like, I mean, come on, let's be real. Artistry is not something you you can get. I think that the better, truer way to get 100 million followers is to make them followers that will, like, people can smell inauthenticity, you know? Yeah. Copycats, mimicry. Yeah. but maybe we're saying you don't have to have a hundred million thousand right. followers or have a yeah. million yeah. billion. I mean, I, I, who wouldn't want a hundred million followers? But, but what you're saying is like, <laughs> like if yeah. it, it's a different measure of success, right? Exactly. Like if we're saying there are 500 people who I am making this for, and if those people mm-hmm. are listening and talking, then that's maybe I'm not paying the bills that way. But if I'm making it as part of whatever else I'm making, we had a um, conference at WNYC earlier this year called Work It. Um, women's voices, and I think it was 95% of the people in the room were not making the majority of their income by podcasting. Podcasting was something they did as an add-on, as a as a love. It was part of their job, and that was a real eye-opener to me. Like, I feel mm-hmm. very incredibly grateful that I this is what I do for work. But, you know, WNYC makes money in a variety of ways. It's it's not, it's, mem- I have to do the, and call one eight 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 three seven six nine six nine two and make your pledge online. You know, I have to do all that <laughs> stuff too in order to like, you know, carry my own weight there. It's mm-hmm. not just my show that's paying my salary. It's all the other things I have to do at the station too. The flip side of it is I, I would like to advocate making it your life and making it the thing that you mm-hmm. make money on and like putting your heart and soul into it if you can. And, and, you know, having it be your main creative output. 
if you can, um, mm-hmm. because I think that there's a space for it, and I think that space is widening, and I think that it's like more possible than it ever was now mm-hmm. to make your entire income on podcasting. And right now is like actually your perfect time because invest or, or advertisers are just starting to realize mm-hmm. how incredibly valuable it is and how much people trust. Um, narrators like yeah. I, I think there's like a huge a, a greater response to um like uh, a tv ad is less effective than a podcast ad podcast ads are some of the most effective mm. that you can mm-hmm. expose people to so yeah. i'm just trying to get you guys to make that scroll up yeah <laughs> but that way if if you're doing that you really have to figure out what institutions you need to then kind of go after. I think you need to like be really strategic about it because that's one of the things. Because various partnerships, in the ways that like po- the ways that podcasts get popular, is you have to people do it all the time. They take like This American Life did it with Car Talk back in like the mm-hmm. late. 90s that they I looked at this script as part of my class where I talk about this idea where institutions matter and so the way like right now people are trying to solve this problem but it still ends up being that like okay if you can have this person who has a much larger audience um, talk about your podcast or your radio show on their show then that will help draw some of theirs mm-hmm. and that's the same thing with mm-hmm. Radiolab the same thing with 99% Invisible the same thing with like a lot of shows on on a lot of different places. So, even, But that said, that doesn't mean you have to be like, oh, if I want to build my podcast audience, I have to get on This American Life. Mm-hmm. You can create your own, like, collaborative and, like, think about, like, okay, maybe we start our own ways of, like, being able to build audiences, like, through, through each other. So I, I really believe in the power of networks, and that's why, at least for me, I really also think that, like, as people in more positions of power, we have to push institutions to have things like paid internships, you know, diversity scholarships. I'm a big believer in being a bit of a rabble-rouser and being a person who um, kind of is willing kind of piss people off or at least make them uncomfortable Mm -hmm. so I feel like that's part of my responsibility is that I need to push these institutions and have them recognize maybe where they're not trying hard enough and you and you pushing has uh you know created the transom diversity scholarship so thank you so much for doing that Mm -hmm. um if you guys don't know about that um Anne helped this this amazing scholarship happen where uh, now if you want to learn how to make radio and you want to have an intensive like two three month mm-hmm. um, eight week eight program. week I think it's, yeah uh, go into this eight week program mm-hmm. in um, Woods Hole Massachusetts and really learn uh, from the best in the industry how to make radio um, they they have there's no uh, for this next one there's no barrier of point of entry for I, it's it's free for whoever oh, really? wants to be able to free to apply. You mean no, like free you to go. free to go. It's go oh, to go. Yeah. Okay, and not just like one person, but okay. uh, uh, I think nobody will be turned away for the ability to not be able to pay because TAL just get a lot of money. Good, a lot of money. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great jumping off point because I was mm-hmm. going to bring up diversity because that's what I do. So <laughs> Stephanie wrote this manifesto on transom. And I read it for the third time on the way in today because I really appreciated everything you had to say and pointed out in that. And 
to kind of sum up is don't put the onus on, for in this instance, you to find the job, but on the hiring managers to find diverse candidates. And it seems to always get flipped around in that instance. And you brought up the good question of, well, they don't apply, so how am I supposed to find them? And again, that's putting the burden on, in this case, you, to find those jobs if you don't even know that this is a viable way to make income. So in that case, I want to bring up not to put the onus on you, but what are ways that we can find information? Where are avenues that we can get some of that information? And what else can people like Anne, who are actively pushing for these fellowships, do more of to make it widely available? Um, I think that pitching is one huge thing Mm -hmm. and not assuming that anything is out of your grasp Mm -hmm. or like your voice matters again I we just keep repeating this over and over but as a young person you know your voice matters as a person of color your voice matters Mm -hmm. and so you're coming from a different perspective and probably with very different story ideas Mm -hmm. than the traditional person pitching to NPR let's say so really just be gutsy. I mean, you can find people on Twitter. It's easier than ever to find uh, people that you admire and pitch to them, right? Um, pitches at thisamericanlife.org. Um, but uh, also, there are so many resource, resources out there. Mm-hmm. Um, Transom and... Uh, yeah, and I think... I, Honestly, what I did is I contacted people. I just sent mm-hmm. my work, my really, really crappy work, to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. I contacted Jesse Thorne and Roman Mars and just anybody that I liked. And I think that people are very much willing to help young people into this industry because we're all mm-hmm. realizing the, the severe lack mm-hmm. of that. Um, you guys have any ideas? I, I'm a big believer in joining a lot of different associations and mm-hmm. going to different kinds of conferences and kind of finding out um, where various, like kind of where the money is. Like, you know, good journalism like follows the money. So, mm-hmm. you know, if there are ways that, you know, I mean, New York is a great place. It's also a really tough market. There are a lot of different initiatives that are happening at different shows across the countries and different member stations across the country. You know, AIR, um, the Association for Independence in Radio, has a really fantastic local or program that, you know, partners people with different um, stations. I mean, I think so So part of it is, you know, in finding out about Transom. Um, but uh, Benjamin Riskin has a really great essay that he wrote on Medium he dropped out of being a lawyer and transitioned over into going into into audio and he has a very like you know he's like you know lesson number one you will not get into transom <laughs> like you won't get into the workshop you know like and then what do you do you know so you have this plan but I'm a huge believer and just like really putting yourself out there and just and just being a part of different organizations and finding out where opportunities are and trying to take advantage of them while you're, like, working on your craft. And also I believe that, I mean, I know you said you sent your crappiest work, but I also think that if you're working with an organization, you need to present, like, your best work on that first 
on the first one. I don't know. It's really I, hard. No, like, I, it wasn't that I sent my crappiest words. That it, that was the best that I could do. I right. think the point <laughs> is that you were making something. Like, and yeah. I, I get so irritated when people are like, I want to break into radio, so I'm applying for this job. And right. they've never actually done anything. And you're right. like, well... Come on. You know, it's pretty cheap, so, like, just yeah. make something so we can, mm. like, just, you know, mm. just show me your ideas. I think that that's the most important thing of all of this is to show, like, a lot of gumption. And I would also say, like, you know, it doesn't have to be people who are officially audio makers. Like, mm. I I worked – I mean, if, like, let's say you work at a nonprofit. Like, make an internal podcast just to like get some experience and maybe you have access to really cool people mm-hmm. interview the CEO package it up show them like internally all the amazing things you can make and if then you're like actually really audio is where my heart is then go that route like there's so many options for audio it like again it doesn't have to be um, public radio or all the other places that are making audio yeah. I always like to say don't wait for permission to create don't wait for that internship to be able to start making because you're just with the industry the way that it is now, you're never going to get that internship unless you're already making content on your own. That's how you get our attention. Mm-hmm. 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 And speaking of that, I'd like to ask the audience, how many, for those who are considering podcasting, and there's probably some hesitation there, how much of that hesitation is because of the technical aspect? Yep, kind of figured that. <laughs> so. so, what was that line that you have mm-hmm. in your? Tools is not that hard. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. bring up that question. What about the technical aspects? How much of your time is spent actually doing the physical editing, cutting, structuring of an episode? And I know we Pro Tools like isn't that hard. staring at the screen. I, mean, I don't hand off my work to somebody mm-hmm. else to cut, no. Mm-mm. I do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I literally, when I started in radio, I was taking, like, tape with a razor blade and cutting it with, like, scotch tape. So mm-hmm. I have a very good ear in terms of, like, I know where things need to be cut and moved around. So mm-hmm. if I'm not the fastest on Pro Tools, because... Mm-hmm old dog new tricks sort of stuff um but i am trying and i will say that like the technical part as a you know 20 year audio producer it's like a big part of the job so if you think you want to do it like download a free version of amplify or um, audacity yeah don't do not do audacity yeah don't do audacity. No. Do you guys don't like audacity? Do, no, okay, so don't no, no, do no, audacity. No, no, no. Reaper, I think Reaper is free, free and it's supposed to be really cool. I hear Reaper, Reaper is good. Reaper too. Mm-hmm. Reaper. Reaper. R-E-A-P-E-R. Yeah, a lot of people are doing Hindenburg. Hindenburg now. has a good... A free version, Free 30-day right? trial, I think, okay. which is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pro Tools, you'd have to purchase, I believe. Pro Tools, you have Pro to purchase. Have to I purchase. used Logic for my first four years, and uh, the transition to Pro Tools was not hard. What? Logic. Audacity so, apparently is bad, but I have used it, and it is free. <laughs> yeah. It's destructive. It's like it's yeah. It's a not just it's a destructive. So you will lose your tape like when you're doing it, and that's kind of clunky. I think. And it's just not trying like to play around. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Sure, (laughs) but it's just that like if you want to ever be handing off tape collaboratively Mm -hmm. with professionals, you know, like you probably want to be able to know how to use their tools. Yeah, and also if you want to apply for an internship and you say you know Hindenburg. 
then you're, or Pro Tools, you're in much better shape than, um, I would say, Audacity. Mm -hmm. so. And in terms of the various tools that you've mentioned, you said it's not that hard, but can you break that down? Because sometimes people hear it's not that hard, and it's like, no, you're lying to me. Uh, I, learned, I learned via Linda. Um, oh, yeah, Linda's yeah. great, L-Y-N-D-A. I'm totally self-taught. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just because, like, when I started at Snap Judgment, they were like, you have to do this, so do it. Mm -hmm. And we're too busy <laughs> to, like, babysit you. And that sounds sure. like most jobs. Like, yeah, yeah, you know how to do this, right? Great. Bye. Yeah, you can't be afraid of the technology. I mean, if you do want to be doing podcasting, you want to be a part of it, you, you, just, you just have to get rid of it, that fear, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so that's just something, and, and it isn't really that difficult to do. And like I said, there are, like, small like two-day workshops that mm -hmm. if you yeah. want to just like kickstart that there's a really fantastic one if i can just like plug sally herships two-day like workshop at mm -hmm. union docs it's really fantastic it's meant for beginners you make a I story in two days <laughs> um you know a along with like you know learning this stuff like online there's definitely like workshop opportunities mm -hmm. in the new york city area that you can do that are short term yeah um, Radio Club is always very helpful. They're always giving out mm -hmm. advice and ideas to people. It's a listserv. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But that, but yeah, I, I just think that you know um, the barrier is much lower. Like, there's no way I could do film or or video. Thanks, mm -hmm. you know, guys, because I just uh, like that. There, there's a barrier of entry for me, you mm -hmm. know. But for some reason. When I started out, I just kind of just did it. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of willful mm -hmm. ignorance yeah. that was happening. Well, yeah. even with film, mm -hmm. I did the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like self-taught. Yeah, of the editing. I applied to this job where they wanted me to edit video, and so I was just like, "Yeah, I totally know how to do that," <laughs> and just like went out with my friends, uh, shot something over the course of a weekend, mm -hmm. and again, like use Linda and online tutorials and learn how to do it. I, I think that immersing yourself in a software for like a month or two months and just trying to use it a little bit every day, it's really just getting like the flow, it, the yeah. shortcuts, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but. And you definitely do build a better ear. Mm -hmm. I think is like when I listen to stuff I did in the beginning to now, I'm like, oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, the process, like, just how it, you can't, like, there are certain things, like, to be a better writer, you have to write a lot and read yeah. a lot. And yeah. I think to be, like, to just get good at podcasting and audio, you have to listen a lot and you have to um, make a lot yeah. at the beginning. And there is going to be money spent. Let's be honest about yeah. that. Just just like Ann says with writing, you know, you buy books, you may get your MFA, you may go to conferences, you may go to workshops. It's pretty much on par with the podcasting world is you're going to have to learn software. You might, maybe you just record it and you pay someone to edit it for you to like get rid of the clicks and the air conditioning in the background. And, you know, someone speaks very low and you need, you know, balancing out and it doesn't necessarily have to be thousands of dollars, but there is going to be a cost analysis ratio. I, I think. think it's a lot cheaper than a lot of other mediums because, okay, yeah. like in terms of video, you need all this equipment and radio really, you just need like a used $200 like PCM D50. And then you go out, that's good enough. And then like a, 
Can you, you break down PCM D50 for people? <laughs> <laughs> just a really good handheld recorder. Yeah. Or actually, here's, if I can give you, like, here's, like, the best. If I could take this out. This is, like, the best thing. No, you have to get close to the mic. Right. This is, like, the this will, like, serve you very well, no matter... Like, you don't have to go. You'll find out that, like, a lot of people really like to fetishize different microphones and recorders mm-hmm. and whatnot. This is, like, the best thing that you can do. It's but just, like, close yeah. mic. I will also like, that's say all that matters. I've done whole shows, and my producers have gotten mad at me, but look at this, so... Like, I've gotten tape on my phone. Yeah, the yeah. recorder's not that bad on here, and you mm-hmm. can edit, actually, in the recording app that comes with your phone. Like... Yeah, around. See I what put, it sounds I like. I put phone my iPhone tape on TAL. It's like not. It's fine. Time. Yeah, and I have a blue snowball mic, which is actually very good, but it also gets a lot of ambient noise, mm-hmm. so there is editing that's required. But for interview, if if we're both here and the mic is right here, it would pick up our voices very clearly. And oh, a, I go like this. Mic, I mean, I'm putting it in people's really faces. Right, I'm that's like, what yes. I'm saying. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, I, I so I think basically you just need to be a bit fearless. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's fine. There's so many people out there. Like, I always just say, and I do this for myself, too, is I I think of, like, the most entitled person that I can think of in my life. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm just going to be that person. Like, this person would would be like, fuck it. You're just going to go out and do it. I'm like, what is this person? I have a very particular person in who I like kind of go back to all the time. Sorry, person. But you've been so inspiring to me, you know? And it's just like I think about that person who like is both inspiring and kind of makes me angry, you know? And so totally. that person is just like, well, what would that person do? They would right. just fucking do it. Oh, totally. okay. I just stop thinking about it. Totally. Whenever I put out it. something bad or, or, or I think that I said something like not not particularly intelligent. I'm feeling bad about myself. My mom, my best friend, is always telling me, like, would a white man feel bad about that? And I'm always like, no, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I don't want to be a white man. So, like, part of it is, like, I try to go back to who I was Mm. in 1995 who just picked up the phone and was just stupid and naive. Like, there's something to be said for that, right? Like. Just go, like, there's a reason why you're sitting here today, you know? Mm, You're obviously super ambitious and interested and self-driven and, like, just, like, bottle that feeling that you have right now and go and visit it every so often, Yeah, you know? No, that's true. I talk about that a lot. Is that, like, part of the reason, like, why I started, like, the Sarah Awards is because I wanted to get back to, and some of the projects that I'm most proud of are when I'm, like, going back to my, like, person who just didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing and then I was just like well I guess I'm just gonna go get an internship at NPR in the summer and didn't realize (laughs) that it was kind of ridiculous and part of the reason I got it was because I just kept showing up like I showed up (laughs) twice and they said oh you flew out here twice for an internship and you know this woman Cindy Carpian yeah you can have it I was like, oh, okay. And that was not how anybody else got their internship, apparently. On my on my oh. first day at Snap Judgment, I brought 20 pitches. And I just, like, <laughs> cornered Glenn in his office. And I was like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Stephanie. Can I read these all to you right now? <laughs> and he let me. And he only picked one. They were all pretty bad. Uh, but he picked one. And that was my first story. And so I had a story on that show, like, as soon as I got there. Mm. Um, Yay, initiative. Yeah. Initiative. Right? Yeah. 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 When no one else is going to push you, you got to push yourself. That's what I think taking from this particular discussion. So last question before we open it up. What do you wish you'd known 
before venturing into this form of storytelling? Sorry, say that again. What do I wish? What do you wish you'd known before venturing into this form of storytelling? Or is it like, it's all good. Next question. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I'm glad that I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm glad mm-hmm. that I didn't, I'm glad that I don't come from an, from a background of having listened to NPR mm. my whole life. Because um, do you think that would have modified your voice ultimately? Yeah, I think, mm. I'm glad that I was totally sort of fresh and naive when I started and I could be like, I'm going to spend the night in a haunted theater and just mic myself and scream into my recorder like the whole time. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> um, or, or just take all the risks that I took. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I didn't know what a proper radio story was supposed to sound mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. So there's, I think there's power to that. Mm-hmm. I'd, I wish I'd known that like, who I am as my person being in front of people is far more interesting than who I was as a reporter in front of people. Mm-hmm. I could have learned that lesson earlier, I think. Mm-hmm. I've been through a lot of iterations to finally get to the point where I feel like I get it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it would have been nice to do that before I hit 40. I would have liked that. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty happy with kind of where, it's it's almost like I'm pretty happy with where I've landed and there have been so many different mm-hmm. things along the way. Mm-hmm. They're like now where I'm at with the Sarah Wards and serendipity, I'm really excited that I kind of realized that the most important thing for me, and it's it, it varies for everybody, is that I really needed to kind of get back to that spark of where I was mm-hmm. and then just realizing what gets me the most excited mm-hmm. um, in, in audio. And, you know, I've kind of done so many different jobs. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, different, did different styles of pieces. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's like trying to figure that out earlier. But then again, I don't know. Here I am, and I'm really happy with how it's going. Every once in a while I used to be like, oh, maybe I should have gone to journalism school. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, they're really great things to be had um, in terms of going to journalism school, in terms of creating networks mm-hmm. and kind of jump-starting things. Like, I don't think it's for everybody, but I'm also not the kind of person who says, you should do this or you should do that. I think you need to, like, think about yourself, how you are as a learner, how you are as a producer, and be like, what makes the most sense mm-hmm. for me? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of a horrible employee. Like, <laughs> I mean, in a good way. Like, I just, like, oh, I have so many issues with authority. That, like, after a while, I'm like, why are you telling me to do that? I'm just going to start something on my own. You know, which is, like, good and bad you know i should have been more like Anne. i'm a very good employee like too good yeah no really like i want everyone to like i think that that's a problem though like you start to follow directions and this is how it's done and you're like okay and so if i just work really hard it'll all work out because i'm a good girl you know and like that's that's a lot yeah totally not all the time it's a balance of both i think like i'm learning now i'm learning the benefits of like both you know yeah. i was so. miserable at tal until i realized you were that well at first because i was like these people are so much smarter than me mm-hmm. and like i'm not as good as them and every day i didn't know what to say in edits i was like why would i ever say anything when nancy updike is right here and she's got opinions and then 
there was just one day where I was like, no, actually, my opinion matters. And then it's been smooth sailing. Oh, no, wait, though, because I also, I sometimes also think, like, um, well, somebody did a New York Times piece about this, but I've done this before, like, what would Cookie do? Mm, like, yeah. I sometimes do that. Like, I'm like, what would Cookie do in this instance? She would just do it. You know, but you, <laughs> yeah, there was that, yeah, yeah, there was that mm-hmm. woman wait, who you dressed. Were sitting there, when you were sitting there and thinking, like, Nancy Updeck has opinions, were you, like, having all these, like, opinions inside that you weren't getting out? I couldn't even not trust having... my opinions. Uh-huh. Like, I, I had them in my mind, and I was constantly second-guessing them. Uh-huh. And if the second somebody said something, like, somebody would say something, and I'd be like, no, yeah, they're right. And then somebody else would say something contradictory, and I'd be like, well, uh, maybe, maybe they're, they're right. right. Yeah, I, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah. What, what do I think? I, but, I, but that's, <laughs> like, when you're, like, well, you'd been around for a while. But I think, like, what, like, what frustrates me is when people are new, that they're, like, I think, like, listening is really important. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen this with a lot of some of the more beginner people who, like, ha- have opinions before they've learned. And so sure. I, I do think, like, we can go in one direction, but we, we need to remember that, like, right. listening is like that's no, I think yeah, that's and I was cool. wrong like, a you, lot, and that's okay. another thing that I yeah. des- decided was that like every single time that I fucked up, I would just be like, "Great, I learned something, and it's okay because whatever." I'm 27; like I don't need to know everything. Wait, no, that's all so, started dressing for success. Yeah. What? Uh, so, <laughs> there's, I, there's for this woman. Success. There's this woman in the New York Times who started dressing like Cookie to feel better every day. Oh no, in Cosmo, wasn't it? Yeah. I love yeah, this article. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys seen that? Oh, she worked at the New York Times, but she wrote. Yeah, it. she yeah, worked at yeah, the yeah. New York yeah. Times, right? And I did great. the exact same thing <laughs> last year. I had this big uh, picture of Olivia Pope. Um, above my desk that said it's handled and I started dressing like Olivia every day and like I'm we're, we're, I work in a very jeans and t-shirt office <laughs> so it was like very a PR that's so weird did you have like power suits and shit um, yeah I went to I went to like right now these pants I had like this banana republic phase <laughs> like you did? went too much money at banana republic um, we have gone like, into the fashion suits? aspect yeah, of the yeah, panel yeah. now <laughs> how to dress for podcasting right? that that would be an issue <laughs> Um, yeah, but just, uh, and, and it did make me feel better. It did make me feel like I could speak up in Olivia Pope's voice. I'm with you on that. I went through and got rid of all my girly stuff. All Mm. of it. gone. Wait, wait, girly? Yeah. Girly? Well, yes. Girly? You know, of an age where like frills and ruffles and those sorts of things Mm. that made me feel younger than I think my brain actually is. I saved a few for brunch with my mother-in-law when I need to be submissive. Um, I do. And that's where the drop waists can can come in. But I was like, I'm too old for this shit. Like, it was, it's over. And some of the stuff I really did like, but I don't, I didn't like where my head was when I put it on. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I like I had that phase where I went and got rid of everything polka dot because I'm also five yes, foot one. Right, polka and I was dot. like, this makes me look 12. little. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, now so, that we've completely yeah, enlightened so about how to dress at elevated various yeah. office spaces, I think what we essentially took from that was how to be your own person, I guess. But that's a learning experience, really. And you're going to grow into that or you're not going to grow into that. And I hope you do grow into that because I think we're all still growing. And also, from previous questions, I kind of want to, like, wrap up what's been said. In terms of technical things, Radio Club. That's a website, yes? Uh, no, no it it's not. No, I would say workshops. Workshops. And um, Union Docs. Union Docs. actual... Weekend workshop. 
Okay. Reaper. Of, uh, uh, yeah. Facebook groups. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, journalists. There There's a binders for, for um, radio, too. Mm-hmm. So in terms of technical applications, Reaper, R-E-A-P-E-R, Logic, Pro Tools, which sounds like the industry standard, Audacity, no. Mm. Hindenburg, lynda.com, which also helps with um, websites, too. They do a lot of the uh, Adobe applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's... Uh, basically, be assertive. Mm. I think that's the biggest yeah. thing. Yeah. sounds like be assertive, kind of like the cheerleader. Be assertive. Be mm. assertive. And I had another question about respective ideas come from, but we have to open it up yeah. for Q&A. Mm-hmm. Nivia? <clears throat> Hi. Uh, thank you for all of this. I do have a podcast. It used to be called Fucking Well Feminist, but iTunes wouldn't let me list it that way. Uh, so now it's called fucking the Yes... Fucking iTunes. Fine with fucking iTunes. <laughs> you can list songs with the word with the F word in it, but you can't list podcasts. That's but you so can weird. now, because have you seen the one Guys We Fucked? Is, yeah, there's, they, they, there's a double standard You're going fucking on. kidding me. Yeah, I'm not um, fucking kidding you, because I fucking tried it back to, fuck to the original name. I like that name so much better. Anyway, mm. it's called the Yes Means Yes Show currently. It's a... A feminist sexual politics show. We, it, we do sort of, I uh, do an interview with someone about their work or a current events issue around sexuality, and then we do a real world advice question. I love my podcast, and I took all of your advice that you just said about just going for it. I'm totally self taught. I've been using Audacity. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to change now. Um, my question is this I am at the point where I have, you know, 500 loyal listeners who love my show. I love my show. Mm-hmm. I want more, right? Mm-hmm. I want to level up, and I can't figure out how. I can't figure out how to make it clear that it's not the same as all of the 100,000 like sex talk shows out there, because it's not. Mm-hmm. I can't figure out how to get into a network, a, a podcast network, because they all seem like they all know each other already mm-hmm. in those networks. Um, I just can't. I'm at this place where I can't figure out how to break through. Mm-hmm. So on Twitter... Somebody said we should have a binder podcast network, which I am down for, yeah. and please contact me if you want to make that happen. But mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering if you have any advice beyond that, like how to take it to the next level once I've already jumped off that cliff and become self-taught and done all of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, like, so one of the things that you could do is that, like, depending, you know, I think it's a really good idea to start creating networks. I had Eric Newsom, who's now the new senior vice president of Audible and the content, and he talked about this to my class. It's like, you know, like, you can start trying to create networks where you can share audiences or, you know, basically, like, audience and audience numbers. Another thing that you can do is, you know, if you want to think about, like, well, maybe there's something with a publication that you could be working for and say, hey, here's this, and, like, if there's something that you could do to for that, you know? And then the other thing is that if you want to make, like, a really badass piece that can go somewhere else that you, like, do in your show that then you could get you know some on some other show that has a bigger audience mm-hmm. that's another way to do it like mm-hmm. what radio lab did at the very beginning and alan horn who he was the executive producer at radio lab for you know from almost the beginning um 
and is now at Audible, like they would put stories from Radiolab on all things considered. I mean, not saying that you have like that, you know, access because there is like that institutional mm-hmm. barrier. But if you make something really good that somebody else who has a bigger audience who wants, then then you could do that. I mean, actually, I would say just like start thinking of the actual the actual networks that you could kind of start doing that with. May I also ask, is your podcast just you, or is it you and guests, or does it vary in terms of... And how does that guest relate? Or is it dependent on the topic you're discussing each episode? Because it it was called Fucking While Feminist, you said? or Yeah. So is it feminist? Is it female writers? Is it artists? Is it male and female? It's like... Mm -hmm. You know what I find so fascinating, and I've never worked in an industry like this where the competition—you have to hold every, all those other sexual podcasts that you mentioned, hold them extremely close to you. Don't try to compete with them. Have them on your podcast and get invited on theirs. Mm-hmm. Because what you want is you want those people who are listening. They're obviously interested. They know how to podcast. A, they—they're interested in the topic that you are covering, but you're doing it differently. So this is an opportunity to just become part of a wider circle. There, I think competition works very differently in this medium i've never kind of seen anything like it like i used to, you know i'm always like i'm gonna beat them no actually not in this one all of them like we all yeah, win all when we all have mm-hmm. these new podcasts and we all do well i had my own music podcast when i was uh at snap judgment and i learned two valuable important things from that in terms of marketability um and the first was that i think a lot of people think that an hour is like your typical length for a podcast Mm -hmm. and i would like to challenge that and Mm -hmm. like i think stage dive did so well because it was like five to eight minutes long Mm -hmm. every episode wow i mean Mm -hmm. it's just a little bite-sized not everybody can make time for Mm -hmm. five to eight minutes Mm -hmm. in their day Mm -hmm. and like there are definitely things that i want to listen to in that time frame and Mm -hmm. the other thing is uh again just getting um, guests from different audiences yeah, that you want to definitely. be able to target. Like maybe there you don't have enough young people or maybe you don't have enough yeah. whatever. People call it, like mm-hmm. branch out the people that you have on your podcast to expand mm-hmm. your networks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Other questions? Any lots more? Of hands. Awesome. Hi, Co. Hi, quick shout out to Jen, who is my writing partner for the Binders <laughs> Facebook page. Um, and, and thank you all. It's nice to see public radio flourishing as a former intern. Um, and now you work in these structured environments. Um, I guess I wanted to ask some of us, you know, are very interested in starting. Um, I don't know if this is more reserved for the, the second podcasting workshop. Um, but what about the like recording of it and the delivery um, system? Can you point to a couple more tools that way? Um, that I, I don't know if you're. In I think that'll be good for the workshop, like the hands-on workshop. I mean, I can just tell you what gear I use. I really like the Zoom H6. Which yeah, I've got. that's a pretty. I it's a really good one. It's like about two, three hundred bucks, and then I use Pro Tools or would use Hindenburg. And it's a good investment if you're going to be constantly using it. And a good set of headphones. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, there's such a spectrum, I think, yeah. that you can go yeah. for. You know, I think 
yeah, listen to all, like, you know, another round is just the two of them talking. And I don't think mm-hmm. they had a studio at first. I think they were, like, under blankets with their bourbon. Um, you know, Radiolab, obviously, extremely highly produced. I did a radio epi- Radiolab episode earlier this year, and that was a great process to go through. It's way more intricate than what we do, which is sort of a mix of the two. Um, so I think you really have to find, like, ha- you know, what are you hearing in your head? How is what yeah. you want to say expressing itself. And if you're really into the audio production, then freaking go for it. But if you're more, mm. if you want it to be looser and more relaxed, there's a lot of really good stuff out there too. Yeah. And if you have somebody you want to collaborate with, like I collaborate with somebody um, in Stockholm who I met at a conference and he mixes our podcast in 5.1, like film, sound, and then mixes it to stereo. You know, so I mean, I mean, I do a lot of the production, but mm-hmm. so it's like if you want to find somebody who you collaborate who has skills kind of above what you do, that's also a bonus. yeah. There's a lot of musicians who maybe aren't into the editorial part, but really into the sound part. Like mm-hmm. so, like I think that's a good collaboration. Like somebody who's maybe looking to get into um, spoken stuff. Go yeah. go talk to a bunch of musicians. They know their shit. Yeah. I advocate for high production values. I advocate for nice sound design. I went from not knowing anything at all on how to edit audio to doing full-on sound design Mm -hmm. with scoring, sound effects, Mm -hmm. like high-pass filters, EQs, everything, three months. So... Yeah, and I would echo Anne's um, Zoom H6. Um, It's really also good for recording. There was a reading that my podcast and another reading series did this past week, and we used the Zoom H6. And it was, I mean, this was kind of high-techy because they had a sound system, so the Zoom H6 was plugged into the sound system, and then this microphone was also plugged into the sound system, and the Zoom H6 is recording from this. But you're getting this for the most part, and maybe a little bit from the audience, but you're not really getting, you know, like the buzz from da-da-da-da-da-da. So, I mean, it really depends. Like, I kind of echo the snowball because it's kind of like, you know, kind of indie, like really, yeah, it's like startup, it's 50 bucks. If you can find a quiet room, you can pay someone. And there are a lot of sound editors out there, and there's some of them who'll do it for cheap, you know, if it's like a half hour you know, editing job, and it's really just getting rid of the background ambient noise. Like, they, they're not going to necessarily charge you a lot, but I guess it depends on the person. But I do also echo mm-hmm. Stephanie of high sound quality. But also, if you're doing it, you're indie, you're starting out, you know, just look up what things cost, what people recommend, and then, again, cost-benefit analysis, I think, mm-hmm. starting out. Another question? Yeah. More questions? Hi. Um, so my question is about money. And getting that sweet MailChimp money. Um, Win uh, the lottery. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Um, Let's see if this sounds familiar. Um, I have an independent feminist sexuality podcast (laughs) (laughs) called Why Are People Into That? Um, And I've been doing it for two years. Mm -hmm. um, And I have a modest following. um, And I really want to be able to make a living doing it full time. I do it once a month and I want to do it once a week and make more. And I I just wonder if you have more examples of how you can make money doing it. Hillary Frank, who was at WNYC, um, is no longer, but like she picked her as a parenting podcast. So she picked up the phone and called like diapers.com and all like literally cold called them. And they were like, we've never advertised for a, on a podcast. Sure. So 
I mean, I and think the same thing with the heart said. too. And they were oh, yeah, starting out, right. which used to be audio smut. But part of the reason they changed it to the heart was because of the name. Like that was a very like, listen, we want to be a part of Radiotopia, and they had a lot. Like Caitlin and Mitra had a lot of like internal like yeah. strife against it. But it was like, you know what? We're willing to change the name. We've heard from enough people that that's a barrier. And so I think you also have to be, if you do want to be making like real money from it and you want to be like working within institutions, you're also going to have to figure out what you're willing to compromise. Hmm. Anybody else on that one? One second. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're Okay. But we can take that question while. Okay. I mean, I would also say like the advertising is not the only model that there is. I mean, I certainly. you know, there's different things you can do, whether there's it's grant live funding. events that you can do. There is membership models. Um, grants, like Anne was saying. Grants. Yeah, grant funding, different foundations. You know, um, if they're, if you're working for a, an online publication that doesn't have a podcast, maybe there's something to do. A former student of mine um, is with Poets and Writers, and, mm-hmm. you know, now part of her job is making a podcast with Poets and Writers. So there are a number of different ways to go about it. But... But there is that, you know, I mean, at at this point, I think the level that people really want in order to get into a network is 10,000 listeners, Mm. like on a very consistent, on a weekly basis Mm. before they'll even like consider you. Or do you mean like a per episode basis? Yeah, per, well, I mean, and they're, I think they're thinking like weekly, you know, per episode and being able to put out episodes either weekly or every two weeks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they want to see. Consistency. Yeah, they want to see a consistency in audience. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you had a question. Hi, yeah. Thank you guys for this information. Um, I really liked what you were saying about um, there being opportunities for people who are coming from other fields within journalism. Um, I'm a print journalist, and I'm curious about um, how there might be opportunities for people coming from like lower five mediums <laughs> to um, work within existing podcasts. I mean, every single thing that we make audio has a written component to it. There's just no doubt about it that writing is still the key skill to have and that not that many people are that good at it, is what I've learned. And so, just inv- in journalism, just like totally. journalism skills, you know? So, yes. I mean, depending on what you want to do, if you don't necessarily want to be um, working for a show, you can work for an organization that works with shows, you know, if you, like ProPublica works all the time with This American Life mm-hmm. and other... Right, that, right. But all I, I can say is just pitch. I mean, radio shows trust writers quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you will learn a lot about the radio writing and, uh, you know, reporting process in working with a show. And the more shows you work with, the more experience you'll get with that. And if you have a really, really good story, like that's the thing. If you can come up with really good stories, you are you are very much a, a beloved person for any show. And they will like work hard to also teach you if you have a really good story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd also say there's work for like booking. Like mm-hmm. it's interesting to oh, me yes. that that I think is really that's my TV background, which is like somebody who can book, somebody who can pick up the phone and convince someone to talk in front of a microphone mm-hmm. is really needed and very valuable. And like, we, you know, we work with a lot of freelancers and there's just some people who just can't book. And you're like, well, that's a key thing that we need. So, and there are other people who just have this magic touch. Like they're just able to get people to do things, which um, is really, 
mm-hmm. a, a great talent and undervalued, I think, by some mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Next question. Yeah. Hi, um, I am trying to start a podcast focused on speaking about uh, several issues in an intersectional way. Mm-hmm. Um, so race, gender, sexuality, etc. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to do it with a few other women who are all of all different backgrounds. So I'm an Albanian immigrant and, you know, I have, um, you know, a Caribbean girl, a Dominican girl, a Muslim girl um, trying to do this. Um, but as we all know, <laughs> a lot of these people are busy. So, you know, mm-hmm. we all have all these other side projects. Um, I was uh, kind of going to ask you guys a two-part question about how do you kind of get around the scheduling issues? Um, I know recording by yourself when you're trying to have a discussion on a podcast is a little tough. Um, I don't know if you guys have any tips for trying to get around that. Um, and two, if you end up having to do a podcast solo, so if you're the only voice, if you're the only voice in the podcast, um, you know, how do you make that interesting? Uh, besides guests, um, you know, making that interesting so that it doesn't, it doesn't sound like just one perspective, or um, it doesn't sound like just one perspective or it doesn't sound long-winded and if it's just you um it's i feel like it's a little difficult to do that so i was wondering if you guys had any tips or techniques to um kind of make it more dynamic if you have to end up doing it by yourself you've done it by your well i mean you mean you're just the only one talking or you're the no um i'm organizing it so that it is collaborative so Uh all of us would be talking um however you know one of them is a chef you know i'm a photographer and a writer Mm -hmm. another girl is a photographer she goes to grad school she has a full-time job so the scheduling is a little crazy Mm -hmm. um so you know i was wondering if there's any ways to get around that besides recording all separately because that's a little um i would i would i am for recording all separately get get everybody to have a mic or mm. record on their phone or whatever and then you can Skype in yeah. or do a Google oh I thought you were saying like they each like record not in the, at the same time oh no like this is just so you could like do it from home while you're getting ready for work in the morning or whatever it is like getting everybody in the same place can often be a schlep so if it's easier just Skype and mm-hmm. have everybody you know it's slightly easier um in terms of doing a podcast where you're just speaking yourself, I think if you can't have everybody getting one person and having a conversation with them, even if you're interviewing them for 10 minutes and then writing around what they have to say is always a little, like, I, I don't, I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's just really hard for somebody to talk into a microphone by themselves and be dynamic. And you have to be really funny, a great writer, or a great performer, which is not to say you are not any of those things. Perhaps you are, but it, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyone else want to speak on that question? I'll just say real quickly that I echo what Stephanie says about the Skype, because I have to do that for interviews often, and it, it just kind of is something you can't always get around, because if you want that specific person you have to work with their schedules. And everyone is busy, but if you can lock down a commitment, they make that commitment. But then again, people flake out. People flaked out on me too. So try to have backup if you can in terms of try to prep. You know, if someone, if one perspective flakes out, then the episode is without that or you have something to fill in and so on and so Are these your collaborators or guests, would you say? Yeah. Dude, it's the priority. This yeah, day, every month, priori- you yeah. are there, period. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Or you're not a collaborator. Yeah. Right. 
Like, you just have to make it a priority. Like, if that's what you want to do, then it's kind of like, you know, when I tell my students, it's like, don't ever tell me that, like, you know, you didn't do this assignment because you had another assignment in a class. Because all you're doing (laughs) is telling me that my class isn't as important as the other class. So just do it. Yeah. That's why I do my podcast alone. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You will get all the glory, by the way. Yeah, the exactly. When it succeeds, do you know what I mean? Being it's alone your is great. deal. But also, yeah. make Oops, your sorry. life easier. Find reliable collaborators. Exactly. Yeah, yes. exactly. Totally. Find reliable people and be assertive. Thank you all so much for being here for the first panel of FinderCon. For more podcast tips, follow our speakers on Twitter. Manoush is at Manoush Z M A N O U S H Z. Ann Hepperman is at Ann Hepperman. That's with two P's and two N's. Stephanie Fu is at I'm on the radio. And Jen Baker is at J Baker NYC. The Bindercast is a production of Out of the Binders Inc., a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to advancing the careers of women and gender nonconforming writers. This episode was hosted by Lux Alptrom and Lee Stein and produced by Jennifer Lai and Henry Malofsky. Many thanks to Seth Lind.